Welcome to We Gotta Talk, a live weekly talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. From health to relationships to alternative lifestyles and more, the one thing you will always get is a deep dive. I'm Sunny, a 15-year veteran of TV news, freelance writer, blogger, mom of three, and wife. But most of all, I'm just a die-hard oversharer, someone who's genuinely curious about, well, everything around me. And I can't wait for you to join in on these conversations that I promise will impact, inspire, and entertain you. Now, let's talk. Hey guys, welcome to this special episode of We Gotta Talk. I am so excited about today's guest because she is someone whose work is so, so necessary all the time, but especially now as we're all trying to wade through the aftermath of the election. Let's bring her on, and I'm doing my own punching here, so one second. There we go, Jenna Lee from Smarter News. Hey, girl, how are you? Hey, Sunny. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. I'm grateful for you to be here because I have been following your coverage, as I do generally speaking, but so much more intensely since the election. I want to give everybody a quick background on who you are. You are well-known to many people. You worked at Fox News. You founded this company called Smarter News when you left how many years ago now? Gosh, it's going to, well, I left in 2017. So I celebrated my three years of being gone off of uh, mainstream. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and what you've been doing with Smarter, and I've watched it evolve since you left, because we connected, oh gosh, a couple of years ago at this point. Um, You're just... I'm not just saying this because I'm trying to like butter up my guests, but you are probably the only truly unbiased source of news that I've ever found. And it's remarkable that you're able to remain, remain such. Um, Is it hard um, approaching news from that? Because people seem to crave reinforcement rather than information sometimes. So how do you stay so in the middle? Well, that's, it's, you know, that's such a great question. Thank you. It's a huge compliment. I really appreciate it. Um, I got into journalism because I wanted to tell someone else's story. Mm-hmm. And it obviously that evolved, t- took me to a path where I was doing daily news coverage. And one of the big questions I got when I was working as a national news anchor from anyone that I would meet I mean, obviously, there were some uh, stereotyping of, of me working at Fox that I always had to confront, which I'm happy to talk about. But it was the question, where do you go to get the news? You know, like people were genuinely like, oh, you work in the news? That's so awesome. Where do you go to get the news? <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge problem that's telling me something right there. People don't really believe there's something easy and available out there for them just to quickly understand, like, what is happening? Not Not the panel debates and someone's opinion like what what is actually happening and that's really where the idea for smarter news started to come from but it's it's a reminder to me on a regular basis of hey like what do people really need to know and usually it's like very simple things so you can equip someone to feel like they have a foundation under their feet about just what's currently going on in the world and that's that's a very um, simple task that can be difficult at times, but it's one a challenge that I love and always want to stay committed to. 
Yeah. For example, during the election, I know one of your segments and you share this on Instagram, I think on your website, as well as breaking down the Electoral College. Right. We there, there are so many people who participate actively in elections who really don't know how the Electoral College works. And I mean, so it, it really does. It, whereas a newscast would address what is happening right now, what you need to know, your site is able to offer not only that, but also why it matters, how it works, what this could mean. I mean, your analyses are are just always very, they're just so thorough. And I mean, like there was so much to dig into with this election season that did it just like naturally feed itself, feed itself every day? Like I can't imagine you needed to plan anything for like well, a month. I have to say like, it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm proceeding very cautiously through these next stages of this story in 2020. Like, you know, I look at 2020 as Smarter News is opportunity to tell America's story. And there's been so many different twists and turns. And so it's just been a reminder just to take things slowly and really kind of go back to the basics. I mean, it's not like I know off the top of my head how the electoral college works. Like one of the great things about, you know, being in charge of content is being like, I actually have no idea how that works. And I should, because I'm an American citizen. And I know I learned it at one point, but this is probably pretty important. So that's why I can invest in, you know, 10 minutes talking about the electoral college. And I wouldn't have never been able to do that on the news because we were going to be talking about, you know, the races or how we feel about Democrats and Republicans. And so, yeah, this has been a very it's been a very challenging time, too, because, you know, you want to present facts to people. And sometimes the facts are changing, especially when you're in the middle of a pandemic that, you know, from a virus that no one has ever seen before, like the facts are evolving. Mm -hmm. And that's just a very difficult place to be as an individual, let alone, you know, a journalist. Right. Uh, as we stand right now, this is recorded. So, I mean, things are things are changing. Um, but as we stand right now, we have many media outlets calling Joe Biden the president elect. And yet there are many moving parts and pieces. If you talk to especially people who um, are, are Donald Trump voters that think it is not the end of the story. Are you able to clarify for us as of this moment, again, fully acknowledging that this could change? Um, what exactly is happening? Like, where are we and who's going to be leading our country? <laughs> These are big questions. No, I mean, listen, I can do my best. I think that, you know, I never thought I, I never thought I would have to confront the question about whether or not to call someone president elect. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to, I want to talk a little bit about that because it kind of ties into what you're saying. You know, right now, the situation, just as simply as we could put it, is that we have different media outlets that have called the races. And they have determined through their research, through their own polling teams, through the data coming from the states, that even with the votes not necessarily being certified by the states yet, that there is a clear winner. Now, obviously, President Trump disagrees with this and others as well. And the reality, the, just like the big picture reality, is that it's going to take states several weeks to certify an election result, no matter what happens. So even if like within the next 10 minutes, if we see President Trump stepping to the microphone and saying, I concede to uh, Vice President Joe Biden, it, it still, it doesn't matter. The states still haven't certified the results yet. So the states need to certify the results. Then the Electoral College will vote December 14th, while all of us are going to be distracted doing other things, right? They're going to vote. And by, by the way, normally we don't pay attention to that at all, because it's just kind of a 
I don't want to say it's routine, but in many ways it is, right? We already know the results from the state. So the Electoral College, they are mostly bound, but not always, to vote the way that the state has determined. Mm -hmm. And when we get those votes, then those votes are going to go to Congress. Congress is then in early January going to say, okay, states, we see it. Thank you very much. Um, it's a done deal. And then we inaugurate the president on January 20th. So no matter any of the craziness that happens or what anyone says, like that is the actual process. And so it's even one of the reasons why at Smarter News, I've hesitated calling Joe Biden president-elect simply because I think I'll feel more comfortable doing it uh, when all the legal challenges are done and he's really the president-elect and he'll really become the president-elect when the electoral college votes. And this is the first time we've ever been through an election on Smarter News. And so I think in general, even moving forward, even in a situation where what we're used to, which is, you know, there's an election night. This sounds all so normal now. <laughs> there's an election night, there's no pandemic, and we have the results within 24 hours. One person wins, the other person concedes. And then we all like say, oh, that was great. And we forget about it. I think now as, as basically the editor-in-chief of, of Smarter News, I think what I'll do is kind of just wait to call someone the president-elect until they officially become the president-elect. And I, that, I don't mean to make any like big sweeping statements about that, right? Like it's not like, um, I don't really know how all of this is gonna come out in the wash, but I just think, that's the fact. So I just, I'll just stay close to that. that you know, oh gosh, I feel like my mind is blown right now. First of all, you introduced me to several new facts that I didn't know. I didn't, I knew that states had to verify, but I didn't know there was this whole process, like you said, in December where the college makes it official. Um, wait, so I feel ignorant asking this question no, no. or the media, but like, so the media just called him that and he's not really necessarily that. Right. So Exactly. And, so in, in, and it's really a tension between what is official and what's typical. So we know it's typical. What's typical is, you know, there's, a, like I described, there's the election. If one side concedes and it's very clear that the other side has won, then what the media does say, oh, it's very clear that the, the president, there's right. Elect. So there's no disagreement. So even though it's informal, it, it really is the media knighting. That I hate to use, I know in like America, I don't mean to use that because like, I know we had this problem with royalty. Um, but really we are doing that. We're, we're saying, okay, this is gonna be the next person. And we're just like, we move right. the story along quickly because you know, it takes states a really long time. Like they, even last time around, even without everything else that's going on, it took them several weeks to certify the results just because it's a lot of work. So is there a meaningful challenge that Trump and his team actually, actually can present to the results? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm asking this question, hearing people in the media come out and say, he has no meaningful uh, you know, facts to support this challenge and blah, blah, blah. But from your research and based on what you know about the process, does he have a good reason to question the current status? Well, there's, well, first of all, he has every, anyone has any right, and it could be a citizen. By the way, it could be if um, someone was at a polling station and witnessed a conversation or saw something that made them concerned. Wow. If anyone can step forward and say, I actually have, a, I would like to challenge. I mean, there's there's multiple ways to do it. So it doesn't actually have to come from the administration itself. We are seeing in, in a state like Pennsylvania that these cases are not necessarily, um, they're not, the administration's trying to join a case that's already existing that Republicans were trying to put forward in that particular state. Mm -hmm. um, 
The reason why the media is saying at this time, and they're not wrong, that the legal challenges are uh, not necessarily meaningful is that we haven't seen a, a broad, uh, detailed legal challenge that is alleging fraud that would have showed a, um, a potential to change the results. So up until this point, and this is what's difficult, right? It could change. Up until this point, there's been challenges that have suggested there's a problem with the process. You know, someone wasn't able to observe vote counting the way that one side or the other wanted it to be. But um, as far as like that really gritty, detailed lawsuit that's come forward, that's raising a lot of concerns. Like we haven't seen that yet, which is why when we're talking about, I'm sure a lot of people are hearing like questions about fraud and whether or not this is real reliable system. And these are all really important questions to ask. We're having kind of a more philosophical debate about it rather than like, hey, like this is what's going on here. Like what, what do we need to know about it? And I know there's a couple different situations that have surfaced in different states, whether it's about the type of pen being used or the type of computer software being used or whether that affected vote counts. And what I will just say about that is all of that has to be presented and evidence has to be shown at a certain point. Just because we haven't seen it yet doesn't mean we won't, right. but it's also notable that we haven't seen it yet. So we have to weigh both sides of it. Do you foresee any serious civil unrest? And this is a personal opinion question. Um, just basing it off of the off of what you've seen from support on both sides, if there is a meaningful challenge to these election results. Well, you know how I feel about sharing my own opinion. <laughs> well, gosh, Jen, I'm trying to get you out of it. I know you're still in the news world. Now I can talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. It's like, you know, let, let, let me rephrase. Let me say not your personal opinion, but is there anything that supports this worry that some people seem to have right now, which is there may be a period of protesting or unrest. You know, we're hearing reports of perhaps people marching up to D.C. Based on reports you've read and things you've been hearing, is there a chance that this election could turn out differently in that respect as well, that the American public isn't so readily going to accept it. This is why the press matters. Like yeah. what you're asking is, is a really important question. If something unexpected were to surface that would suggest a massive recount, I mean, we're already seeing a recount in Georgia. Yeah. I saw a headline, I'm gonna have to check it out, I probably shouldn't mention it. I saw a headline that seemed to suggest, I mean, this literally just happened, right. that the recount's gonna be by hand. If we saw, you know, mass recounts of votes, um, and that could take us, you know, till past Thanksgiving, uh, and that went to a different result. And these are the states doing it, right? In the state of Georgia, it actually has nothing to do with either side. They're like, hey, this is actually too close, and we're this is what our state does when it's too close, and so we're going to recount. This is why we have to be very careful with the language that we use, because mm -hmm. when I listen to the news, um, it's like there's no question at all about what the end result is going to be. You know, the conversation is not about right. The conversation is not about foreign policy for the next sixty days. The conversation is about foreign policy in twenty twenty one. You know, or what and what does healthcare look like? And we we've moved on so much, but I think it will catch people so off guard. And it will be suspicious because of that. When in reality, look in a state like Georgia, it actually has nothing to do with anything but the state. Mm -hmm. suddenly like that result changed you know we that's why you got to leave room you know you got to leave room and you got to be careful with your language and right. so when it comes to civil unrest i've seen those reports too 
And by the way, also very important with those reports, um, those also have been completely not specific. So we've been talking and reporting about civil unrest, but like, who are we talking about? Like, right. who? Like, who? your friends, my friends? Like, what, what groups specifically? Because right. that also is a little bit of irresponsible reporting. I mean, there's a chance, um, is, is if there's ever been a year that we can say, wow, we didn't expect the sort of civil unrest that we saw or that we didn't anticipate certain things to happen, like this is the year. So, you know, I think the possibility of, is of course there, but it just emphasizes why we, we have to be very disciplined with how we're trying to tell the story. Gosh, you're the only one then adhering to that principle. And hearing you say that makes me realize how more than ever the media has become an echo chamber of opinions and the, the, the people are filtering up to the media rather than the media filtering information down to the people. And it really, it just gets my goat because I want to believe as a journalist at heart that, you know, that we react to facts and we react to whatever, but it, it never fails to astound me how people will always and forever choose to surround themselves with comfortable, agreeable statements rather than facts. And it, I, there's just, it seems like there's no unwinding it, especially with social media. I'm curious as to your thoughts on that whole phenomenon. And, and, and have we lost our way as news consumers? Do you think there will ever be a time where we can meet happily in the middle? I, I recently said this, I think it's so true. And I think it ties into social media and what we're experiencing with the way that we're consuming information because technology is also a part of this. Right. Acknowledgement is not an endorsement. Right. right. Acknowledgement is not an endorsement. But we're in a world right now that even if you acknowledge somebody else, like let's say you like a post, it looks like you're saying, I agree with you. Right. In reality, you're just kind of acknowledging them. I mean, it can mean different things. I've right. actually struggled with that sometimes because someone might put out a political opinion on smarter, you know, I'm on the smarter news account and, you know, going through stuff. And I'm like, oh, probably shouldn't acknowledge that because now it's going to make us look like we're biased towards one side or the other. But the reality is because we're in this situation where we're kind of liking content on a regular basis, that that it may, I feel like it's made us more closed off to just acknowledging the other side it, at, at all. It's like, we're totally not practice about it and, right. and we're not seeing good examples of it. So it's just this bad site. It's kind of the cycle feeding off each other. Yeah. I, I did a very personal episode last week where I really never thought I'd reach this day. This is probably the first time I've like let down the drawbridge and talked about my mixed political relationship. My husband and I agree on most big issues, but we technically vote or or belong to different political parties. And it is shocking, it is shocking to me how even you can't even acknowledge as someone who identifies as progressive or liberal, you can't even sit and listen to a conversation with someone who doesn't agree with you. That doesn't make you a progressive. That doesn't make you of a progressive mindset. And it's not contagious. <laughs> right? I mean, I just really, um, you know, that was my criticism of, of my people. I said, you can't break out into a full body sweat. They want to punch someone. If you sit next to someone who is happens to disagree with you on any hot fun, it like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And the criticism that I got back from some people was the whole, if you don't stand for anything, you know, right. something you'll fall for anything. I mean, people, um, I guess it, it, it depends on the type of person you are. I like to be around people that don't agree with me. I like to understand why, and it doesn't always sway me, but um, I find value in, in differences and I'm scared that 
the, that being a moderate is becoming a bad word in our country. And I don't know why. You know, I was thinking about that because we're, as we're talking, we're, we're celebrating Veterans Day. And I think in a time where good examples of what's really courageous are not what we really uh, elevate, right. I think it leads us to crave that um, because we all want examples of courage and bravery in our life, you know. Um, but when you think about really being tested for it, you know, in a life or death situation, you know, many of us are not going to necessarily make that choice or be in that sort of situation. So I think sometimes that 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 forces us to feel like we have to take a stand to assert that no, 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 we really are brave or really are patriotic when um, you, it's almost like you don't need you don't there's not there's not a test, you know. <laughs> and and so I wonder if part of that is just from not having the it's kind of the way that we're telling our stories to each other. We're not necessarily prioritizing uh, what really fundamentally matters about America. So, I mean, just even thinking off the top of my head, one of the things that we've done at Smarter News is that I always want to just throw in, it might be once a week, once every 10 days, we throw in something kind of like a cool something about history. could be anything. This week in fact, it's the anniversary of like the first library that was ever Put together in America, Ben Franklin had something to do with it. It's kind of cool. Like when you kind of have this perspective that's a little bit longer than the last 24 hour news cycle, I think that allows you to kind of to relax a little bit and understand that what we're experiencing is very much part of what America is all about. That there's always been moderates, you know, and not everything is as black and white as we like to think about it. You know, even when we're talking about the Civil War, we're like, well, there's two sides, you know, there's the North and the South, there's the right side and the wrong side. Well, there's actually, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies that we can um that we definitely should acknowledge and so the more i think we can do that about our past and i think it would al allow us give us permission to be there to be right. there now I, I almost blame social media because you must appear to take a strong stand on things for you to retain you know if you're a company for you to retain your customers you must take a strong stance and and let it be known i do think there are some black and white issues i think our country right. does have work in progress to make on uh, racism and racial divides and ways to address um, some deep, deep rooted hurts, right? So that being said, um, it, it has become dangerous to exist as a public figure in some regards to your reputation. And this is why I understand you remaining neutral is because um, if you do post your political opinion, you are viewed as, okay, just stick to ABCD, don't tell me that. Or you're unfollowed because I, it, it's, you really can't win. And it, it, it shows this, this, we, we somehow developed this thirst and this need for validation everywhere we turn. And I don't know what that says of us, says about us as a society. Yeah. It's a big question. And I don't really know what it says about us either, because it, it's, it's been an interesting experience for us too at Smarter News. I mean, I talk about racial divide and racial tension. I mean, this, the question of, a, it's a, such a deep question about what's happening in America on that particular topic. It, it's going back to everything about what makes someone fundamentally American. You know, we're talking about, these are really big, deep issues. These are not issues that are easily covered, you know, in news briefs, right? These are, these are questions that we need to give time to. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we confronted on Smarter News is when, um, obviously there was such a reaction to the death of George Floyd and the movement of Black Lives Matter we didn't post a black square on our site. And I mean, for us, it was really obvious because it's not that we don't care about the story. It's not that we don't care about these issues. It's that 
we just don't advocate. There's no advocacy in general about anything. I mean, and that does make people uncomfortable because they want a, a, a stronger stand on something. They want to see that. And that's been, that's been difficult, but it is a line that I did not cross. I mean, it's just because you just can't. If you're going to be a news provider, you have to step back and figure out creative ways to make these stories um, resonate the way that they should. And think about creative ways to do that that actually adds value to people's life. And that's where I want our energy to go, not necessarily advocating for a side or the, the other, even when, even when it seems so clear that there's there's right and wrong. And I agree with you. I mean, in some cases, obviously, even in some stories, it's right. it's very clear. But ultimately, it's about respecting the audience, right. and respecting their ability to arrive at that conclusion and right. not force feed what the conclusion is to them, which I think is what happens a lot in the press right now. And so ultimately, that's what we're about. Just as a side note on that discussion, did the Black Lives Matter movement change how you diversified your newsroom? I know your newsroom isn't it's virtual. Yeah. Um, did it did it impact or affect any real changes in the way that you guys run the business? Well, it's it. First of all, I have a very small team, very part time. So it, it did definitely challenge us. I mean, one of the things that we can't do very well being a small team is that we're not a twenty four hour news operation, right. and that unfortunately allows certain you know. It, it, there's certain limitations to what we can do. I also have really strong beliefs about some of this coverage, including that I think at a certain point, um, whether it's showing a protest or showing a video of someone being injured, that it becomes very exploitative um, through the news. And I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. So, but I also want to cover it. And so we're actually doing, it's funny that you mentioned this, we're actually doing a website redesign. And one of the things that we're thinking about is, uh, ways that we can better cover stories that are developing. And for example, like very similar to a George Floyd story that we've seen these stories repeatedly come up in the news. They're highly emotional. They're highly important. There's a lot of moving facts to it. So if that's the case, like how do we use technology to show how important this story is, but also show that it's developing and also show that we're not going to use just one image to try to represent it because that's been some of the challenges that we've confronted. It's like you could put one image up, and you could put one update up, but man, that doesn't feel appropriate for the weight of the story in this news cycle. And so it's 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 an, we're still very much in the process of figuring out the the right way to do it, you know, with the right balance. Are you comfortable commenting on how you found the debate coverage to be this year, whether that's from the perspective of how you viewed the journalists and their participation in it, and the candidates as well? You can kind of take that one or both ways. Totally. So uh, yeah, I mean. I mean Obviously, being I'm going to plug in here that there were some hosts that were overly aggressive in some cases, um, or and on the other hand, maybe you didn't ask tough enough questions. From a journalist perspective, how did you? Let's start with the moderators. How did you find their performances? Well, I, listen, I think that's a really difficult job. You yeah. know what it's like to do live television. Um, it well, is like sweating. No one will rap. It's like <laughs> it's like. Hot hard. And I think one of the things I would say to that is that although we're seeing the moderator, you know, we're seeing the moderator, we're seeing the candidates, the moderator's not seeing that, right? The moderator is only sitting and experiencing this from afar. And so it's a very different perspective when you're in that chair versus what people are actually seeing on television. The way it sounds, the way it feels is very different. Um, so I think, I think when it comes to a debate, 
ideally, we would never talk about the moderators, right? We would just say that was a really great debate. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more we talk about the moderators, that really takes away from the content. And so unfortunately, I saw, I think that happens. I think Kristen Welker, um, who is the, the final moderator, did a really good job. <laughs> I mean, I think she did a phenomenal, I mean, I, I'll, I'll happily say that, like she did a phenomenal job. Um, and it, you know, it was even at that point where people were like, in general, I mean, it was wide consensus, right, that she did it well. Right. <laughs> I think every, I think it, it was kind of shocking that that's all people had to say, right? It was like, she did very well. And then let's talk about the debate. You know, we didn't have all the distraction of it. So um, I, I I think that's, it's just a reminder for people in general is that a debate isn't, the moderator is supposed to be kind of the person that gets it started and then steps back. And so hopefully we'll return more to that where the moderator is not as much a part of the story. What about the behavior from the candidates? That first debate was just so live tweeted. And there were so many memes about you know, someone being a mother in the room, or um, people felt people begin or have begun to feel during this administration in particular that a sense of decorum has been lost in the political discourse. And people who are critics of President Trump blame the example that he sets. I'm not going to ask you to comment politically on whether you agree with that or not, but um, I will ask if you think that, like, just on the moderator side, that process can be built back up because I think we can also agree that it was kind of a total circus in as far as talking over each other. So is that gone? Is our, our manners gone forever in politics? Well, ultimately part of the problem in all of this, whether it's the media or the politicians is that there was one group that wasn't prioritized at all. And that was the audience. Like right. no one was actually thinking about the audience, no one. Because if you if you were, then you would change your behavior as the moderator. Uh, that was speaking about the first debate. You would change that because it's not about you. In the candidates, it's actually about what the viewer is experiencing. And if you're the candidates, and because both of them engaged uh, in a way that wasn't productive to actually even hear them. And again, if you're thinking about the citizen, then you wouldn't behave that way. So, you know, I thought it was interesting that the, again, part of American history, who knew about the Commission on Presidential Debates? I didn't. I didn't understand that that came up in the 1980s, that no one really kind of streamline this until then, and that they're kind of supposed to be this nonpartisan, non-profit uh, non that goes around and does this, right? So that, that, that the American public has access to the candidates. That's their whole goal, is this every four years. Mm -hmm. I, think there's, I think there has to be some question about like production, how we're seeing both candidates. Does this make sense to see right. them this way, to cut away the way they do? You know, the microphone's obviously being cut uh, in the final debate, I think was helpful. But more than that, it was a recalibration of, we actually need to, we're producing this for an audience, gentlemen, right. not for you. And so I wonder if that will change at all to make it better for the audience. But fundamentally, Sunny, I really do think that the town halls are so much better than seeing candidates back, especially known candidates. These are two people that people knew a lot about. So seeing how they interact together, I don't know if that was necessarily really information producing, right? The town halls, when they have to really answer questions of real people and see them in live television situation, I think could actually be more helpful. I, I hope to see more of that actually. I'm gonna take a hard left turn here and ask you about something that only recently popped into collective consciousness, which is the QAnon community and theory oh, yeah. candidates elected to Congress who are 
loud and proud QAnon um, theory supporters. Um, I want to know what you think about this because um, people who subscribe to this belief are are vehemently um, what's the word I'm looking for like supportive and 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 um, vocally like talk sunny they're they're always like sort of talking about this right whereas people who are on the other side think it's total baloney um where do you stand on this well so are you talking about the q like um because there's those that look at QAnon right. that as a potential source of information there are those that look at QAnon, which i didn't really understand this until recently that QAnon has a general belief that there's child abuse trafficking happening and that this elite class in America is protecting it. And this is all part of the kind of the political division right now. I didn't know that until recently. Did you always have that? So uh, there are, um, gosh, I want to say, I don't know. I, I'm thinking of a couple people on Instagram whose friend, I have friends who have like shared a tagged post and I'm like, what is this? So I did a deep dive into what this is all about. And it is that the, the working theory for anyone who doesn't know the basics of QAnon is that President Trump has almost been cast as this heroic figure in this fight against exactly what you said, an elite class in America whose main evil is um, abuse ritual and, and um in some cases described as satanic abuse of children. So they, it's um, it's President Trump and his um, people in the deep state, his like fellow superheroes who are working against all these structures of government that have been in place for a long time to essentially push these people out of these positions of power, therefore creating justice. That's you like- did a really good job of that. Cause that was good. That was good. <laughs> that's not an easy thing to explain. And quite frankly, that's what I'm saying. I, I really didn't know that until within the last couple of weeks that that was the broader backdrop to it. So I, as far as QAnon goes or any sort of social media, um, I don't know, say phenomenon, what I always look at is like, well, why does that exist? Like, right. Why is that existing? Why is that gaining power? Um, you know, supporters will say, well, because it's true. <laughs> and critics will say, because it's crazy. And that's why it's attractive for both, right? Like, point. but I think for me, what I look at that is that that's a phenomenon that's telling me something not, not about like, not about judging the people that follow QAnon. It's telling me something about the state of America right now where, um, People are looking for, I don't want to, it's going to sound so cliche. They're looking for answers in leadership. They clearly feel there's something going on with an elite class. You know, whether it's this theory or other theories, this is a repeated theme in American culture about an abusive, tyrannical elite class going back to the American Revolution War, Revolutionary War, right? And so that's what I look at it as like, this is, this is the phenomenon. That's how it's feeding off itself. You know, the social media popularity of it, how consequential it actually is. Like, when does it actually become consequential? I, I, I don't know. Um, is it entertainment for some or something real for others? I don't really have a great sense of that. Um, there seems to be this promise that this person or this group mm -hmm. has more information, right? That has information that could potentially become true someday. And I think like everything else we're hearing about, it's like, well, the, the details and the facts and all of that will matter. And until then, you know, I think it's just something to observe. Right. I get asked this question a lot and you have better perspective having worked at a national outlet. Um, and we touched on this a little in the beginning. When people ask me how I get my news or in a very partisan world, how do you remain objectively informed outside of surrounding yourself with different opinions? I, I almost don't know what to say. I'm curious 
what your specific website or source would be should smarter news never have existed or she didn't never started it um what outlets would you rely on if you're comfortable saying or you know a combination maybe of several i mean that's really what i do see i'm a huge news consumer right i know people don't have a lot of time for that so that's where smarter news was born i was like if i'm going to sit down and read all this stuff then i'm just going to pick out a couple things for you if you don't have the time because i can right. do that, right it's something i have experience doing fine so that's a real basic way of smarter news was started um i still am a believer in the associated press international wire service my grandfather worked for them as a war correspondent it's you know tried and true uh very direct uh uh pervasive uh wire service in in america um but really all over the world they have a great app that i use a lot and it's a good way to get your news and see the because you have to remember about these wire services is that whether it's cnn fox msnbc abc any of them they're really using a lot of these wire services to at least confirm or uh, complement their own coverage so it's a good place to just go because i think it's uh you're not gonna it's, it's very straightforward you know this very black and white there's no um, never opinion in the AP yeah I mean it's kind of, I mean they have they have gotten more opinionated over the years and one of the things they have said is like we are gonna call uh, Joe Biden president-elect and I don't think that's necessarily an opinion they've called the race <laughs> so and that's why it's really important when the Associated Press called the race for Joe Biden that's why everybody I gave permission for everybody else to just go in and do it so I really like going to the Associated Press because I, I know um, they're committed to just the news and there's no, none of the flashiness of cable television. That said, I do, I definitely skip around different websites. I'm, uh, you know, whether it's the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CNN, I really like CNN Digital um, and find the CNN Digital platform slightly different than some of their coverage on television. So I enjoy that. Fox News has a really huge website now. Um, and that's, of course, a place that I know I can get couple different opinions. So I really kind of pick and choose, but I, I do go back. I now I'll, I always recommend it on smart news and otherwise I really do. I do like the associated press app. It is something that I rely on. And if you are just looking for something out there, I would go there. Do you foresee when things calm down after this election, whatever the result may be a more coming together, like a place where networks perhaps aren't as um, right or left leaning and find a happier middle ground. I think they doubled down on, on I think they've totally made themselves irrelevant. I, I think they have, and I know that's gonna sound surprising because here's these big media companies, they have all these things to do, all this money, it's like all this. I don't think they actually have all that power. I think they've doubled down on not having anything in the day side or nighttime that you can really go to and be like, I'm gonna get the news. They're still right. not there. And that I think is a huge mistake because commentary is strengthened when you also have the other side, which is just the straightforward news. And so when everybody starts sounding the same, and looking and doing the same thing. And this is happening on Fox and CNN. It's like they're all trying to be somebody and not thinking about the audience. Trying to make it about themselves, the show. Yes. And we worked in news, but you always know the people who want to make it about themselves. Yes. We know the screeners, we know that, you know, there's always that in a newsroom. And it, it just, just boils my blood that networks have not only allowed that, but encouraged that. Culture. It just drives me bonkers because, and it truly is why I envision such a strong future for what you guys put out there, because there will be a point, I hope, when people can finally say, okay, I'm done with having to be one thing or the other and feeling angry when I turn off media. I want 
just facts and guess what? I'm smart enough to make up my own mind after that. That's the whole thing. I'm like, what business in America exists and has been successful for making you feel worse <laughs> being a part of it? Like, right, right. Like you go into a restaurant and you're like, that, I feel terrible now. Like, yeah. you go back? Like, oh, yeah. It's really taking advantage of the American people of like, oh, they, that's all they want. Right. And I heard those conversations at Fox. I know that, you know, it's, oh, we're just going to, you know, we'll just do a debate. I'm like, what is the debate going to be about? Like, what fundamentally are we talking about? Right. Oh, well, we'll just have the two sides. I'm like, that's not, that's just noise. People are going crazy and we're actually not helping them understand what's happening. And we're it's our job, like your job and, and is to run your company, be a like you should be free and feel really good about your day. And then when you want to check in on the news, you should feel good about doing that because that's like a good thing to do, right? You want to be current. You shouldn't be like, wow, I can't stand this stuff. Right? Right. So right. I really want news to become like that great family restaurant in your, in your city. Like right. the one that you always go to, you always know what you're going to get, right? It's that uh, with the people and you feel better having been there. Like, okay, like, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I, I envision for, oh gosh, I'm thinking as you're talking for you guys, I mean, how cool would it be if you could just start your own streaming and have your like daily live newscasts from Smarter? And I know you've been doing all the digital work and all the videos on Instagram, but I hope you guys just blow up and end up on TV or on digital streaming somehow, because that would be a destination for me, I know, and a lot of like-minded people who want just facts. So I say you take it over, Jenna. Well, thank you. I mean, that's hopefully what we're moving towards again with kind of growing and developing is is we know people need this. We have to we have to grow our team. Um, you know, it's like me and like two other people right now, very part-time, and um, maybe three sometimes, maybe three. Um, but you know, we we have we know people need this. We see a huge future for smarter news, and the whole idea is high quality information, small doses, so that you are free to get on with your life. And 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 but you don't have to sacrifice actually being informed. And you know that our priority is nonpartisanship. We actually like you. We want to take care of you. We're not trying to change your opinion. Every once in a while, I, I get people on both sides, both sides, by the way, they're like, are you really an operative for, I'm like, no, I'm not an operative I wish I was, because maybe I would get a little more cash. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right now, I just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> middle. Trust us guys. Right. I'm like, uh, yeah, I wish that was the case, but no, I uh, you know we're just, we're just trying to like muddle through. So, um, but I believe in it and I know people need it. And it's like, I just, I, I will not go down without a fight. Like I cannot let this just become what journalism is. Like journalism was a respected profession. It's a part of freedom of the press fundamental to America. Like what we're seeing is not journalism. It's something different. It's, it can be important, absolutely, but it's not journalism. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I could go on on that forever. But I, you know, I just adore you. And I told my mom, I would tell you this too. She said, Oh, Jenna from Smart News, please tell her I love her. Yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you something funny? This is true. Uh, and I credit you, Sunny, because you were one of the very first people that ever did an interview with me about Smart News. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for your support on that. It was so important to us at the beginning and like still is obviously, because the more we can talk about it, it's, it's, that's how we're growing. Um, but true story, you know, when I was on Fox, I was on television in front of, you know, a million people every day, uh, lived in New York City. I now am getting more recognized for Smarter News. I never got recognized for Fox, but like people are like, 
are you the smarter? And I'm like, I am. <laughs> yeah. Like, is this a thing? <laughs> oh, I love that. It's so awesome because it's like, oh my, it, okay, so people are out there. They're out there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are they ever, please don't lose faith in that because we want you to continue on the path you're on. You truly are doing good work. And for total like news nerd like me, it's just has been and will continue to be like just the destination for me to just get good objective info. So I'm sharing you on. Um, that being said, tell us websites, handles, where we can find you and your team. Well, the best, uh, best way to follow us really the way that we're most functional, I feel is at Smarter News, at Smarter News, uh, that's S-M-A-R-T-H-E-R-N-E-W-S um, on Instagram. That's really, I think right now it's just where everyone's at, it's very right. seamless. And so we really try to produce as much as we can for there. Our website though, obviously has all the same content and can be more shareable when you, you want to put things on your own social media. And so that you can just get to that by smarter news, but also smarter. So no H-E-R will also get you to the website. So oh. we're looking to expand in a lot of different directions. So that was one of our big um, developments this year. And well, you know, we just see a lot of different properties that can eventually be developed with this very concept in mind, which is just good quality information in a crowded space. Yes, it stands out for sure. Um, Jenna, thank you again. Thank you, Sunny. I truly appreciate it. I'll bother you again soon, I'm sure. I can't wait. I'm ready. Be sure to follow along on Instagram. We got to talk with Sunny. And please, I beg of you, do leave a rating and review on the podcast, uh, specifically on Apple Podcasts. That helps to get these shows out to people who might enjoy them or find them interesting or worthwhile. If you would take 30 seconds to do that, I would be so grateful. Thank you again for listening. And we'll see you next week with more good stuff on We Gotta Talk.